Hey there, I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor for Bloomberg Government. And I'm Greg Giroux, senior elections reporter for Bloomberg Government. Check out our podcast, Down Ballot Counts. Each week, Greg and I will be breaking down all of those down ballot elections that make up the fight for the U.S. Congress. Listen and subscribe to Down Ballot Counts from Bloomberg Government wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Jordan Rubin. And I'm Kimberly Robinson. This is your sneak peek for the week of November 2nd, the first arguments with Justice Barrett on the court. The court's still been issuing divided orders and voting cases ahead of Election Day, and more still may come, but the regular work of the court continues. Kimberly, before we get into the first cases that Justice Barrett is going to be hearing argued, you want to catch us up just a little bit on all the election litigation madness we've been seeing? Well, sure. So we've actually gotten uh, several orders over the last couple of weeks uh, in election-related matters, and at first blush, they might seem to be inconsistent, and that's because the court has granted um, some extensions or allowed some extensions to um, stay in place and has pulled back on others. But if you look closely, it seems like the difference here is who is making the extensions. Is it federal courts making the extensions, or is it um, state courts or state agencies? So we don't know that for sure because there haven't been writings in each one of these cases, but... um, That does seem to be the pattern. Uh, I'll just note also that even though Justice Barrett has been confirmed for a couple of these orders, she has not participated in them, um, citing the need to act promptly in these election cases and her inability to get up to speed. Right. So as the time we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, October 29th, we still haven't seen any votes from Justice Barrett yet. So that still remains to be seen. That's right. But I do think that we'll get some more election cases, maybe before, maybe after the election. So plenty of plenty of opportunities for her. And whatever happens, we'll make sure to catch you all up on that on the next episode. Okay, so let's get to work here. Kimberly, what's the very first argument that Justice Amy Coney Barrett is going to be here argued over the telephone? Um, do I get like a drum roll or something? <laughs> Do you even know what drums sound like? That's <laughs> all right. The first uh, case that Justice Amy Coney Barrett is going to sit for is U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services versus the Sierra Club. This one is a Freedom of Information Act or FOIA case, and specifically it involves Exemption 5, and that exemption protects records that are generated by a federal agency in the course of making a final decision, and it's really meant to promote frank discussions uh, within the agency. Uh, This all centers around a 2011 proposed EPA regulation for cooling water intake structures, and these are really systems that pull in large amounts of water from waterways to cool down industrial facilities. Now, during the rulemaking, EPA, uh, under what's known as Section 7, was required to consult um, with two other federal agencies, including the Fish and Wildlife Service, um, over the impact to endangered species. I'm getting there, I promise. Hold on. After getting drafts on the impact uh, to protected species and what are called, quote, reasonable and prudent alternatives, the EPA issued a new rule and the services subsequently signed off on those under the modified rule and the impact that it would have on endangered species. Now, the Sierra Club foia those draft opinions, uh, as well as many other docs, and the Ninth Circuit said that the federal government had to turn them over. In particular, it said it wasn't part of the deliberative process because they were final at the time that they were issued, even though they were later 
are superseded. Now, this comes to the court as an environmental case, but of course, FOIA affects many other agencies, and so it could have a bigger impact. Arguing here is going to be Matthew Guarnieri for the government and Sanjay Narayan for the Sierra Club. All right. And so the second case that's going to be argued on Monday looks like it involves a railroad. I don't know anything more than that. Kimberly, do you? Well, only because we already had a a case involving the Railroad Retirement Board a couple of terms ago, but um, it's okay. Not everybody can remember everything. This one is Salinas versus U.S. Railroad Retirement Board. And the ABA preview for this case calls it, quote, an intricate waltz through statutes governing railroad workers. I don't know if the person who wrote that preview knows what a waltz is. Anyway, I'm not going to lead you through those laws. The gist is basically whether or not the denial of a request to reopen is subject to judicial review. So it's going to come down to the canons of construction and most importantly, the least antecedent rule. Yikes. This one's going to have two first-timers arguing it, Sarah Harris of Williams and Connolly and Austin Raynar with the Solicitor General's office. So Tuesday, Tuesday, Jordan, what's happening on Tuesday? Is anything else happening on Tuesday besides Supreme Court arguments? Well, it is election day. Um, As we've seen in all of this litigation that's coming up, we have people who are voting by mail. But while people are actually going to the polls, some of them anyway, there are actually going to be a couple of criminal cases argued that the justices have buried on the docket for that day. So if anyone's looking for some counter-programming, follow me and I'll be uh, telling you all what's happening in the world of juvenile justice and the latest case on the Armed Career Criminal Act. First case is Jones against Mississippi. And the question here is if the Eighth Amendment requires that judges find a juvenile is, quote, permanently incorrigible, end quote, before sentencing them to life without parole. So a couple key precedents here. The first one is 2012 Miller against Alabama. There the court said it barred mandatory life without parole sentences. And then in a 2016 case called Montgomery against Louisiana, the court said Miller barred those sentences for all but the rarest of juveniles, those whose crimes reflect permanent incorrigibility. So the question here basically comes down to what type of record a judge needs to make when imposing these life without parole sentences, but it could also be an early test of how this new court handles recent precedents. And so obviously this topic of precedent, not necessarily in the juvenile justice context, is something that came up in Justice Barrett's hearing. And so it could be an early test of how the court, this newly constructed court, is dealing with this question of precedent and criminal justice more broadly. So this case involves Brett Jones, who was sentenced to life without parole for fatally stabbing his grandfather when he was 15. Jones is represented by the MacArthur Justice Center's David Shapiro, and he says the sentencing judge didn't make the required findings. The Mississippi Attorney General's office is fighting to keep Jones locked up without the chance of parole. Arguing for that office will be Deputy Solicitor Chrissy Noble, and Assistant to the U.S. Solicitor General Frederick Liu is also arguing in support of the state. The second case is Borden against United States, and this is the court's latest tussle with the Armed Career Criminal Act. That, of course, is the federal repeat offender law that's always causing mischief at the court over what crimes qualify to trigger the act's mandatory penalties. This time, the question is whether the part of the act that mentions use of force encompasses crimes committed with just a reckless mental state as opposed to an intentional one. And in that case, we have Canon Shanmugam of Paul Weiss, who's going to be making his 29th high court appearance on behalf of Charles 
Nicholas Borden, and he'll be squaring off against Deputy SG Eric Fagan. And that's going to take us to Wednesday, where the court will hear just one case, Fulton versus the city of Philadelphia. This is the latest clash between religious freedom and anti-discrimination laws. We did our deep dive episode on this last week, so check it out uh, if you want to hear more. So the quick and dirty is whether Philly can refuse to work with Catholic social services because the agency refuses to place foster children with same-sex couples. This one's going to be one of those cases where we might see uh, the newest justice have an impact here. While a lot of these cases have not been five to four, these religious freedom um, anti-discrimination cases haven't always been five to four. We have seen some broader agreement. This one's going to be a long argument uh, over the phone. These tend to go a little bit longer, but especially when there are more than two people. And this one's got four, so... Buckle up, everybody. Uh, we're going to have Lori Wyndham for Catholic Social Services and the other plaintiffs, Hashim Mupan from the federal government, Neil Kadiel for the city, and Jeffrey Fisher for the intervener groups. All right, so that'll do it for the first week of the November sitting. Uh, next week, we'll be giving you our sneak peek for the second week of the November sitting, including the much-anticipated ACA case, also known as Obamacare. Until then, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. Taxes and accounting are complicated, but finding a good tax podcast shouldn't be. I'm Siri Belusu, and I'm Amanda Icone. Listen to Talking Tax, the podcast that breaks down all of these issues on a weekly basis. Every Thursday, Talking Tax will explain the latest issues for you, from what Congress is working on to legal rulings to the global digital tax debate. Download and subscribe to Talking Tax wherever you get your podcasts.